If you want something to be true, then it's easy to ignore considerations that count against it. Mm. That's just Those are human psychology, right? So we're all subject to self-deception. In a religious community, though, there's something that's often really, really significant in this context, which is the patterns of thought that might disable certain forms of self-deception mm. are not encouraged. We aspire to become awakened beings, to live in harmony with the truth of life. From Vast Noodle Media, I'm Trent Bell. This is Knowing and Believing, a podcast about how we believe. Welcome to another episode of Knowing and Believing. Today, I'm super excited that we are going to be sitting down with Dr. David Livingston Smith. He is a philosophy professor at University of New England. His expertise is in philosophy of psychology, philosophy of biology, race, mind, metaphysics, free will, and determinism, human nature, dehumanization, and ideology. So I've gotten to a lot of deep issues and I'm currently experiencing a existential crisis, loss of meaning that I'm trying to work through. And I'm very excited to talk to someone who can really speak on these deeper issues that is an expert in these areas. So without further ado, let's go into that conversation now. So, uh, Dr. David Livingston Smith, uh, I'm so very excited to have you here today. Thank you for taking the time to come and uh, speak on this podcast, Knowing and Believing. Um, your expertise and your personal interests and areas of interest and study uh, intersect with everything that I'm currently struggling with and going through and relate to basically everything I'm working on uh, with this other project, uh, Vast Noodle, that I'm working on. And so it's a real joy to have you here. So well, it's, it's a real pleasure to be here, and uh, I hope I don't lead you astray. Oh, no, I don't think you will. Let, let's jump right into it as not to waste your time, because I'll go on forever uh, talking, and, and I need to talk less and let guests talk more, so I'm working on that. But my, <laughs> my first uh, thing I'd love to hear from you is basically around the title of this podcast, Knowing and Believing. To you... What philosophically, what is this difference uh, between knowing and believing? Uh, knowing, kind of inferring certainty, believing. What is what is belief, and what is knowing, and the difference within oh, your okay. expertise? Okay, so these are philosophically significant terms, and there's a lot of uh, disagreement among philosophers exactly oh. how they should be understood. All right. So I, my view is a fairly traditional one, I think. Believing, at least as philosophers use the term, has to do with commitment to the truth of something. So when you say you believe something, mm -hmm. that's another way of saying you think that that something is true. And the something is going to be what we call a proposition, like a statement, like sure. the sky is blue or or angels exist, or something like that. Mm -hmm. So a belief state is kind of a state of commitment to the truth of a claim. Okay. Uh, now, if you look at it that way, belief is part of knowledge. So sure. it would be very strange to say that you know something, but you don't believe it, <laughs> right? Yeah, yeah, right? okay. Um, whereas uh, you, you might be uncertain about it, that's fine, that's good. Right. So when we philosophers talk about belief and knowledge, 
that doesn't imply certainty because, of course, there are very few things, if anything, that we can be certain of. That's that's definitely what I've come to yeah. embrace more so. Yeah. So, you know, knowledge is, is always fallible. Mm-hmm. Um, and the appropriate attitude of intellectual community, sorry, intellectual humility, is to embrace that fallibility. I might be wrong, but given my sincerest efforts and all of the evidence available to me, this is the best story that I can come up with. So Mm. we talk about, rather than certainty, we talk about warrant. What sorts of claims are warranted? That is, what sorts of claims do the evidence best support? Right. So to me, it seems like baked into the word belief is I don't know this objectively. I cannot prove this objectively. It is not a certain thing, but I do think that it's the truth. I just can't completely prove it right here, right now. Well, um, there's another distinction that I think is worth making. Traditionally, philosophers have saw knowledge as justified, true belief. Let me let me unpack knowledge that. as justified, justified true, true belief. Okay. That's known as the traditional analysis or JTB okay. <laughs> for short. So uh, first of all, as I pointed out, if you're going to say you know something, it, part of that must be that you believe it to be the case. You, sure. We, right. Okay. Um, so um, in addition to that, what you believe must be true to count as knowledge. So I, I might believe that the ghost of Elvis is in this room, but I don't know it because there isn't any ghost of Elvis, mm-hmm. right? Not that we can prove, right? Not with, yeah, we have no good reason to think. <laughs> right. that Even though the Inquirer <laughs> might, you know. Yeah, yeah, that, that great authoritative source. Okay, so why not just say knowledge is true belief? Well... Think, think of it this way. You might wake up in the morning with the feeling, I feel really lucky. And uh, I feel so lucky that if I buy a lottery ticket, I'm going to win. And so you go out and you buy a lottery ticket and you win. You got lucky. Did you know you were going to win? Well, probably not. What probably happened was there was this very pleasant convergence between your, uh, your belief and reality. So you had a, a belief. The belief turned out to be true. You did win the lottery. Well, the, if the belief was true that you are lucky... I think you're pretty lucky if you win the lottery. But luck is nothing other than coincidence, it seems. I don't, yeah, uh, but you did win. Yeah, so let's, yeah. just, let's, let's, let's go to the point where you said, if I buy a lottery ticket, I'm going to win that lottery. Well, that turned out to be true. Yeah. Right? Yeah. Okay. So you had a true belief. Well, why wasn't it knowledge? Because it wasn't justified. So what we mean by justified is having good reasons to kind of underpin or underwrite the belief. Mm -hmm. And you didn't have any. I mean, just waking up feeling lucky isn't a good reason, objectively speaking, for believing that you're going to win the lottery, right. and therefore you didn't know it. So you need all those three elements. Often when people talk about belief, they're leaving out 
the justification bit, right? So you can have a belief without justification. Mm-hmm. And that kind of coincides with what you were just saying, right? We don't have to say you're uncertain of it. What we have to say is a belief without justification is a belief you don't have good reasons right. for holding. Okay. Yeah, it's it's a um, it's a hard thing growing up. As I I grew up in a very uh, what I would call a certainty based culture of of religious belief, and it it wouldn't have been something that an academic authority within that belief system would have said, I am certain there is a God, this is the definition of certainty, and you all should be certain. But it was absolutely the um, cultural posture, if you will, yeah. right? And so uh, I remember in my teens, I, I came up with this analogy or thought picture of if there was a gun that would go off, if you weren't telling the truth, would I put my head up to it and say, I certainly believe there's a God. No, I wouldn't have ever done that. Mm. But yet everyone around me, you know, kind of professed and seemed like they had this certainty of faith, certainty of belief in God that wasn't discussed as a, this is what I believe, Mm -hmm. but it could be wrong. And I'm open to that discussion. It was, it was far more a, um, a concrete thing. And, Mm -hmm. And if you asked, if you push people, are you certain about this? the correct answer within that culture generally was, well, yes, I'm certain of it. And to come out of that, I'm finding, is incredibly difficult because now I know belief has a purpose um, for people in in finding meaning, and you kind of believe beyond what you can prove, uh, but you have justifications for it, mm-hmm. and now I'm left with this kind of resentment towards belief uh, that that kind of pushes me into um, a, maybe a materialist, s- strong skeptic, nihilist position, which emotionally isn't fun for me. You know, okay. having been for forty yeah. some years another way. You know, so yeah. that's that's hard. But that's a that's a good uh, summary of the difference of of knowing and believing. Yeah. Um, what is your take? I know one of your interests or expertise is the psychol the the philosophy of psychology. Mm-hmm. Um, what is your knowledge of and, and take on uh, the idea or the the reality of imprinting uh, as a person grows? So there's I, I think Oxford did a study that there were three things that um, were kind of uh, I don't know how to describe it, but there are three things that uh, were key markers of bringing someone into belief. And that was, Hmm. uh, one of them was that when they're transitioning as a kid from realizing mom and dad don't know everything and are not all powerful, you then introduce this idea of God. And then I forget what the other two were, but as, as being imprinted with this idea of certainly there is a God, now I'm left with, uh, the, uh, the lack of trust of my own feelings and intuitions around those things. Hmm. And is there any, is there any consensus on psychological imprinting and belief within that? Yeah. I'm not sure I can really answer that question as I'm unfamiliar with the the study that you're referring to, but I can certainly respond to what you've just said. All right. Um, You know, 
a great deal, perhaps most, of what we say we know, we get from others. This mm -hmm. is called the uh, testimony in, amongst philosophers, right? Mm -hmm. So almost everything, you know, I, I'm a professor, I teach, I teach uh, undergraduates, almost all of what they say they know as a result of being here at the university is what people have told them of what mm -hmm. they've read in books, right? right? It's not a matter of direct experience. It's a matter of taking as true the reports of others. Mm -hmm. And outside of a formal education, it's very much the same. As we grow, as we acquire knowledge, a great deal of that knowledge, or a great deal, I should say, of that belief, some of it counts as knowledge, some of it doesn't, uh, is stuff we get from our parents, from our family members, from respected members of our community. And that's just natural, right? Right. But it can lead to really bad things because people around you, as you're growing up, may be wrong. And right. they may be wrong in very, very serious ways. You know, yeah. If, yeah. if your parents had been members of the Ku Klux Klan, you would have acquired a set of beliefs about race, which would be not only false, but destructive, right. right? So there comes a point when we're cognitively equipped to start questioning uh, what we're told. Uh, ideally, we grow up in a situation where this is encouraged. Uh, so yeah, I can think of my kids asking me if God exists. Both of them went to a wonderful um, preschool that was run by fundamentalist Christians. And of oh. course, they'd hear all this stuff and they'd come back. And they'd ask me that and I'd say, well, I don't think God exists. There are a lot of people that do. Uh, let's think it through. <laughs> let's let's figure out what you think is right. Right. Um, and you know we could have a a philosophical dialogue about that. They they both ended up atheists, mm -hmm. by the way. Um, so there are things that people around you can do to make that transition easier, less painful, in fact pleasurable, or the or the reverse. Growing up in a community like you did, I mean, you really would have to swim against the tide psychologically. It seems like there is no support for really honestly examining the warrant for these sorts of claims. Yeah, the, the, the very critical discussion of it is, is not present in the last... I'm finding maybe it's just because I'm more aware of it, but I'm I'm finding in the last uh, three years, two three years, there's been a lot more open dialogue about the criticisms that atheism will throw at religion. Yeah, you know, which which in many cases is very very justified. Yeah, um, and and there's been more of that, which is encouraging to just think that. Um, people of religious beliefs are attempting to uh you know self-examine them and be honest about them yeah. and improve on the areas yeah. where they're maybe being being unfair to to individuals of we'll say a different disposition yeah so on so forth yeah um so you know that's that's in, encouraging see i i think very often uh religious people um 
the attitude towards the doctrines is more an attitude of commitment than belief. Let, let me explain that. Uh, the way I understand belief is, is belief is a kind of mental state that structures the way we live, hmm. right? So the way we live, in at least for many, many beliefs, there are obviously beliefs that don't fit this category, uh, is in accord with what we believe. Now, what right. we say is not necessarily what we believe, right? So we have to look at how people live mm. and look at what they say mm. and see how the two match up or fail to match up. Right. What people say is often what I would call an expression of commitment, right? They feel that they should be 100% behind certain claims. Mm -hmm. But this might not have much behavior structuring um, influence apart from uh, certain social things, right? So um, it, it, I think the analogy is sort of the attitude to sports teams, the fans, yeah. right? So if you're a Red Sox yeah. fan, I, I'm not, I don't, I'm not interested in sports at all, but I gather maybe this is why that, I'm so sensitive to this. That makes two of us. Yeah. So the Red Sox fan will unhesitatingly say, Red Sox are the greatest team in the world. Yeah. Right? This is, how the Red Sox have actually per performed is irrelevant to that judgment. Mm -hmm. Saying the Red Sox are the greatest team in the world is an expression of commitment to the Red Sox. Right? Um, <clears throat> So that's what I often, I think, goes on in a lot of these communities. Mm -hmm. And if you look at how people lead, live their lives, they're often not walking the walk. They're not living really as Christians should live if they act, actually absolutely believe right. this right. stuff. And I mean, the... My pushback on that to a degree would be that, you know, no one's perfect, but they're trying. So, you know, I, I take that with a grain of salt. I'm, I'm more insistent at this point on, yeah. like, the, the validity of the claims. Are they true or false? Because I can accept that yeah. I hate religion because there's humans involved, and I'm just yeah. not a group person. And, and this has been very difficult for me um, because I don't meld well in a group situation. Yeah. It's just not me. Like I get so allergic to that where if I was in the early eons of homo sapiens existence, <laughs> I would have been picked off pretty quick because I would have been out on my own and saber tooth would have gotten me, yeah. and, you know? Um, but here I am now in this, this time period and I have all this information and everything else available to me. But the mass population of our, you know, world now are here because of uh, the genetic ability to tell story, follow myth, and get united behind that. I'm mm -hmm. pulling a lot of this from the book Sapien. I don't know if you've read that. I or haven't not. read. It's a really, no. really, yeah. really interesting book. Um, no matter how you believe how the world mm -hmm. came about, it, it's it's interesting, but also very conflicting for me because I'm. I'm not the ideal for this time period. Yeah. Um, I'm, I'm, I'm not a group person, which is like 
we're here because we we work like ants almost you mm-hmm. know we all we all get together and that's our power we're hyper social and yes. i'm going the opposite way and and i get itchy if i feel like i'm not unique you know which mm-hmm. is ridiculous but like i'm going to be unique out of 7 billion but anyways um so the 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 place i found real rock bottom for me in this discussion uh that was the intersection of faith and and reason and philosophical discussion was free will mm-hmm. i had i had never really even thought about it it was like a laughable subject to me as uh as a religious person it was like yeah of course i wasn't a calvinist they believe yeah. in hard determinism yeah whereas a, a hard atheist might also believe in hard determinism which is very interesting to me but it was a laughable thing to me but as you start to read into it and look into it it, it's like oh okay this is a this is a very nuanced and very interesting conversation Mm. if you could give your best definition of free will because often that's the hardest part about this discussion is really defining what is free will or will and then the three main camps yeah, uh, hard determinism, sure. compatibilism, and liberalism? Or libertarianism. Libertarianism. Yeah. Okay, so uh, me, the way I start this conversation with my students is uh, I ask them what they think it is to be free. And usually the most popular view is, well, you're free to the extent that you, do, you can do what you choose. Mm-hmm. Okay. And so I said, well, okay, let's, so let's take that as the baseline. That's what we mean by free will. There's an old problem associated with free will, which has to do with the relationship between freedom and determinism. Okay. So what's determinism? Determinism is the view that everything that happens is caused by prior things that happened. And it's caused in accord with laws, which are just regularities. So you throw a wine glass at the wall, it's going to shatter, it's not going to turn into a bluebird and fly away, right? And it's the wine glass striking the wall that's causing it to shatter. Right, so this idea of determinism can be expressed in another way as well, which starts getting people a little bit worried. And that's the view that there's only one physically possible future. Hmm. If everything that happens is caused by prior things that happen in accord with laws, and that includes all the events that happen in your own mind, because those things happen too. Yeah, everything within the (laughs) realm of matter, within the realm of the universe. Yeah, that's right. And even if there are non-material things, it would apply to those as well, by the way. Um, So only one possible future. And that implies that an infinitely powerful intelligence, which we philosophers, most of us are atheists, by the way, like to call the mind of God, Mm -hmm. were to look at a time slice of the universe, say, a billion years ago, and this infinitely powerful intelligence would be acquainted with all the laws of physics and would know the position and trajectory and momentum of every particle in the universe, that infinitely powerful intelligence could predict that you and I would exist, and at precisely this moment, we would be sitting here saying what we're saying and could even tell us, well, not in my case, but in your case, the position of every hair on your head. (laughs) Okay, so when you start thinking that some of the things that happen, well, let me go back a little bit. 
Determinism has been a very, very fruitful idea. And we count on it every day of our lives. So you go out to start your car, you turn the key in the ignition, the motor just makes a sound, the click, click, click sound. You say, oh, that must have been caused by my battery being dead. What Mm -hmm. caused my battery being dead? I must have left the light on last night, and so on. So so you invoke a deterministic explanation for that, your failure of your car Mm -hmm. to start. If you were to suddenly get a pain in your side, you would consult a physician. Why? First of all, in the hope that the physician could tell you what's causing the pain, and second, that the, the physician could cause it to go away. So de- determinism, the idea of determinism is something we take for granted, we use all the time, and it's very much the basis of a great deal of our science, which okay. looks for regularities in the world. But people start to freak out when they start thinking of the implications of this for their own choosing. So if my choices are determined, that is, they're caused by prior events, Mm. and those events are caused by prior events, and those events are caused by prior events, and what we call a causal chain, going back before we're born, then our, uh, our metaphorical mind of God could, looking at a time slice of the universe a billion years ago, predict every choice everyone would make. Right. Okay. And then people say, oh my God, that means... I'm not free. Right. Right. That's the problem. That's yeah. the word. It, it doesn't feel nice to, to think about that as a, as a standard human, as me, standard human, thinking like, well, wait a minute, I'm, I'm just reacting. I'm not actually making choices. I'm not free. Okay, so I, I'm going to try and free you from that bad feeling. Let's do that. Okay, we're going to do some <laughs> therapy here. Okay, so there are two general views of the free will problem, that is the relationship between free will and determinism. One is called incompatibilism, the other is called compatibilism. Incompatibilism has two varieties, hard determinism and libertarianism. So if you're an incompatibilist, you think that freedom is, cannot exist in a deterministic universe. Right. So either the universe is entirely deterministic, or at least deterministic in ways that matter for this question, or and freedom doesn't exist, or freedom does exist and the universe is not entirely deterministic. That is, there's a loophole. Okay. The first of those positions is called hard determinism. Hard determinism is the view that, first of all, If the universe is deterministic, then freedom doesn't exist. The universe is deterministic, therefore freedom doesn't exist. Right. Simple argument. Hard determinism. Hard determinism. So it's very important to make a distinction between determinism and hard determinism. Because compatibilists are determinists too. Okay. Okay. So um, uh, none of us is free (laughs) on this view. And that means none of us is morally responsible for our actions because the idea is to be morally responsible for what you do, there had to be an option. You had to be able to do otherwise. But if you couldn't do otherwise, then it would be absurd to say you're morally responsible. So if Mm -hmm. I were to say, Trent, you're a bad man, you know why? I had no choice in that. You didn't didn't travel back in time and kill Hitler. Right. Uh, 
Well, that would be a strange charge because you couldn't do that, right? right. You were not responsible for Hitler's life uh, or his non-death and in infancy or something like that. Okay, uh, so a lot of people don't like that. Hard determinism. determinists would say, well, suck it up. That's how it is. Uh, amongst philosophers, this is a fairly unpopular view. Really? Very few philosophers are hard determinists. Okay, let's go to libertarianism. Not mm -hmm. to be confused with... Now, what is, what is the distinction between... Now, that's hard determinism. Mm -hmm. Determinism... Determinism is the view that everything that happens was caused by prior events. Okay, hard not necessarily that further down the track they're also locked in... Uh, as much as no. it's an ongoing growth of... Uh, I'm not sure what you mean. Like hard determinism in. would say that there's, there's an original causality chain and mm -hmm. uh, hard determinism where you'd have a computer or whatever strong enough, you would know the results. No, a determinist, of plain old determinist can say that. Say that as well. The, what the hard determinist adds something. Determinism is true, and that means nobody's free. Okay, all right. So hard determinism is about the relationship between determinism and freedom. Okay, okay. all right. So libertarian. Mm -hmm. Libertarianism should not be confused with the live free or die sort of right. li political libertarianism. So everyone Liber in New Hampshire is not <laughs> Yeah, no, they're not, they don't okay. all have a commitment to a certain view of free, free will. Um, so if you're a libertarian, you accept that same premise as the hard determinist. Basically, they're really similar. Hmm. If the universe is deterministic, then freedom doesn't exist. But the libertarian then says, yeah, but freedom does exist. At least some of our choices are free choices. Mm -hmm. Therefore, right, no. So let me rephrase that a little bit. If the universe is deterministic, uh, nobody is free, but we are free, at least to some extent. Mm -hmm. Therefore, the universe is not wholly deterministic. Okay. Libertarians don't say stupid things like nothing is deterministic. They just say some of our choices are not determined by prior events. Okay. Well, in some ways, that's kind of attractive mm -hmm. in that it recaptures moral responsibility you know those choices that we can genuinely make freely we are morally responsible for making um and it preserves the sort of determinism that's important for science in everyday life as well the problem is libertarianism seems pretty unintelligible if you look at it closely suppose the following freedom exists or it doesn't Let's, let's, we have to accept that. Mm -hmm. Any statement of that form we have to accept is true. Um, well, if you're an incompatibilist, if you think freedom and determinism uh, rule each other out, then if the universe is deterministic, then there's no freedom. Mm -hmm. Right? Well, what about if the universe isn't wholly deterministic? What about if some of our choices are not determined? Well, what are they then? Well, they're random. But randomness doesn't give us freedom at all. It's quite the opposite. Yeah, no. So no. Imagine, imagine I were to propose this to you. 
Uh, here's a revolver. Uh, you can either shoot yourself in the head or I write you a check for a million dollars. But you have to decide this on a coin flip. Yeah. You don't feel real free, do you? No, no, no. So if the choice is between determinism and randomness, that's really bad. <laughs> that's like living your life through a series of coin flips, yeah, right? Yeah. It, it, it isn't freedom enhancing uh, at all. Yeah, no. Right. So it, it feels the same to me, uh, you know, as far as my freedom's concerned. It's all right. So now let me get, urge you towards preferring a deterministic view. Okay. I would guess you would want your actions to be determined by your values and your beliefs and your desires. That uh, is... I'd want them to be determined by my own conscious decision. Okay, we, let's take it a step back then. Let's talk about your decisions. Mm -hmm. Would you like your decisions to be in accord with your values and beliefs? I'd, I'd what you think? Not if I was raised by, you know, it, de it, de it depends. <laughs> right. No, but I'm talking about you now. Let me give you a concrete example. Okay. Let's suppose that you're hungry mm -hmm. and you really like pizza. Yep. And uh, you know where you can get some really good pizza. Mm -hmm. uh, would you want it to be the case? And there's no other contravailing factor like you know, you're trying not to eat gluten or you're trying to lose weight. Obviously, you're not trying to lose weight. I'm trying to lose weight and I can't <laughs> eat gluten and I'm right. vegan. We're gonna, so. We're going to exclude all those things, <laughs> right? So wouldn't, wouldn't it be the case that you would want it, your decision about what to eat to be based on what you like to eat and what you know is available mm -hmm. and so on and so forth? I think there's no doubt that you would. Sure. Um, of course you would. Now imagine if there wasn't a deterministic relationship between your values and desires and beliefs and your choices and your actions. You could have all those things, you know, you love pizza, you know where to get it, so on and so forth, but you decide to eat, I don't know, Salad. kale, yeah. right? <laughs> that, that would be a consequence of a lack of deterministic relationship between your desires, beliefs, and so on, and your choices. Mm -hmm. And let's look at it slightly in a different way. Let's suppose you make the choice to get a slice of pizza. Mm -hmm. Unless there's a deterministic relationship between that decision and your actions, you might decide to go and buy a slice of pizza, but end up doing an impersonation of a chicken or something like that, you know. There's not, a, there's not that secure connection. Right. That's why some philosophers say that determinism is actually necessary for freedom. It's necessary hmm. for a person to act in this kind of integrated way right. so that they actually do behave in ways that reflect their values and commitments and desires and beliefs and so on. Hmm. Sever those connections and we... we and, and you lose that sort of integration. Right. Okay, so, so um, w one of the issues here, like we can move to compatibilism now, mm -hmm. right? So we have hard determinism, we have libertarianism, they're both forms of incompatibilism. 
They both have their upsides and their downsides. Now let's go to compatibilism. The compatibilist says, look, you incompatibilists have been confusing a couple of things. You think that to be free, our decisions and our actions must be uncaused. I don't agree with that at all. I mean, everything is caused. Yeah. So, so the, the incompatibilist says, well, if everything's caused, at least the hard determinism says, actually both say, if everything is caused, then nobody's free. The compatibilist says, no, I, I don't buy that. Freedom and determinism are not only compatible, but they need each other, or at okay. least freedom needs determinism. So the compatibilist says, look, the mistake that you guys have been making is that you think freedom equals uncaused. What you should be thinking is freedom means uncoerced, right? So, But everything, it, it, that feels the same to me. Everything's still coerced. I mean, like my choice to eat pizza is coerced by my, you know, past experience of enjoying cheese and melted and... But you're, you're, you're confused. I want to work you out of that feeling okay. the same because they're not the same. There's a big difference between eating pizza because you want to eat pizza mm -hmm. and somebody holding a gun to your head and saying, eat pizza okay, or I'll so blow your brains out. Coercion is more um, outside. It, it's... Uh, it's it, it's causality without choice. It, it's, yeah, okay. Don't you it. want what you eat to be caused by what you like? Right, rather than this were, this was the railroad tracks to pizza. I had no choice in it. <laughs> exactly. You want to feel like there's an asphalt you road. You do have you a could choice. It's either. just yeah. that your choices are caused by all sorts of other things. Yeah, They're a billion different things By constantly. your mental state, you know, a millisecond before the choice. They're mm -hmm. caused by your genetics. They're caused by your upbringing. You know, if you'd never experienced pizza or if you've been taught that cheese is poisonous or something like that, then your desires would be different. But they're not. Mm -hmm. They are as they are. So compatibilist says, we don't have to worry about how our desires and beliefs and so on, how our choices come about as much as the incompatibilist thing. What's relevant is, can we do what we choose? That's what matters for freedom. Right. Right. So right. I've chosen a certain set of words in explaining this to you. Mm -hmm. Of course, there's a causal story about how I happened to choose this set of words. I mean, the fact that I was born into an English speaking family is a big part of that. Right. That doesn't make me unfree. Right. What would make me unfree is would be that if you know if if the FBI threatened me to 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 read a memorized script to you or else I would be imprisoned something right. like that right that's coercion yeah that's coercion so uh, compatibilist says look if we look at that's the sort of to use Daniel Dennett's phrase that's the sort of free will worth wanting mm -hmm. um, if we look at freedom in that sort of way then freedom and determinism sit quite happily together. Right. Um, so let me illustrate just one more time why compatibilists like me think that incompatibilism is crazy. Suppose you were to act on your decision to have pizza. 
So you go out to some pizza place, you're about to put a delicious slice of pizza into your mouth, and then you think the following. Oh my God, I'm not free. I'm eating this pizza because I want pizza. <laughs> that would be crazy. Right. And there, right. that because is causal. And you don't have any choice about what you want. Mm-hmm. You can't help what you want. You can choose to act on your wants or not. Right. And there's a causal story for that as well. So if we, if we look at causation <clears throat> as incompatible with freedom, that implies that the only free acts we could possibly perform are acts that we don't want to perform that are not in accord with our beliefs and values and so on. Right. And that also seems insane. So those are the three positions. Right. Basically. Those are those are coming into focus a little a little better for me now. So about uh man, I think it was last spring I sat down and really tried to write and figure out all of this and I I had this weird mental picture. And in <clears throat> in considering you're not a hard determinist. I'm a compatible compatibilist. So if hard determinism hard determinism is interesting me to me simply because I know there's people out there who hold an idea of God that are Calvinists, they're yeah. I think Baptists, or that way, and it just blows my mind yeah. that you would worship something that creates billions of people, knowing that they're going to burn eternally. The, I mean, it, it is, I've been burnt a little. Yeah, eternally. I mean, what? Ye, oh, that's know. the most. That's the number one most sadistic idea that anyone I, has come it's up just with. Mind blowing to me. And and I was previously Seventh Day Adventist. They don't believe in hell. They just believe in death basically being we've all been dead before it happened before we were born okay that's what it feels like you know so that's that's kind of calmed my fear of death it's like a band-aid right now i'm just kind of like death is like before you were born okay i can get behind that but in a hard determinist view you got to think that technology someday given another billion years could Mm -hmm. maybe get to the point where we harness the power of a star to power a computer there's yeah you know and then it could, you know, map everything that exists in the universe and then be able to, if hard determinism is the yeah. deal, tell yeah. us this is what's going to happen. Well, yeah. then we have created for ourselves essentially a God that can tell us the future. <laughs> so then the God relays to us, hey, guys, this is what you need to do to have the best outcome. Yeah. At that point in if hard determinism is, is a thing, do we then actually then have free will because we know the future and can do it? But what we've done at that point is we've created a God out of this computer that can tell the future, and so then it gives us a roadmap of how to best live. Well, mm-hmm. lo and behold, we take that roadmap and we go tell everyone, this is how we need to live to live best. And if yeah. you don't get in line, we're going to start a war. Well, we've just created a God <laughs> in religion. Again, this is a very yeah. interesting, weird like That's thing. a cool thought experiment. It... it it blew my mind when I was sitting at, at, in Cape Porpoise, and I was just like, that's really weird. And um, so, so there's that oddity there, mm-hmm. that there's a, there's a full circle there that I don't know what it's telling me, but it's very odd to understand that and look at hard determinism and Calvinism and, and see how that works and to see that you create the same situation we're dealing with now with religion in that mm-hmm. manner. It's, it's a, a very weird thing for me, and there's, there's more thoughts that come off of that that are also very weird. But once I get a hold on them, I'm going gonna, 
I'm going to send you an email with them actually summarized. Okay, cool. And you can be like, no, this is total junk. Yeah. What you got? (laughs) But anyways, let's stay on track. Um, so next the the self-deception. Okay. So for me, as I reflected on my beliefs structure and everything that I believed and what I was doing and, and then looking at the community I was in, there's a lot of very sincere people, but that does not mean they're subconsciously self-deceiving themselves. And to me, a huge tell is that in church services, they'll people come up front and they'll pray for cancer. And in some services, I don't know if you've driven by, um, do you know where, uh, what is it? Uh, Autoland or Motorland yeah. over here. Yeah. As you're going to Motorland on the left, there's a big tractor trailer and a little church and it's yeah. something and it's healing men. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I remember. I, I'm going to have that. him here on okay. one of these because that's a really interesting conversation. Yeah. But people will come up and pray. Sometimes they're like miraculously we heal now, or they're like, we think that there's a God that is deterministic and involved in our lives and reaches in and heals cancer. Yeah. But never once in those type of situations in a moderate church like that, will yeah. you have people come up front to pray for an amputated limb to yeah. be regenerated. Yeah. Now, if there's a deterministic God that supernaturally can meddle, meddle with cancer and heal it, the, there's no difference. You can yeah. regenerate oh, a limb. Sure. You know, what? Or grow a third one. Yeah. No one will ever do that because I feel that, like, I would have never done that because I, I would have prayed for someone who had cancer yeah. and brought him up front or whatever, but yeah. I would never have done that. Now, yeah. why wouldn't I have done that? Because I feel like I know deep down that's either too much of a leap of reason, yeah. you know, even in a believing position, mm-hmm. or I just didn't truly believe that God was doing anything and I was self-deceiving myself. Yeah. Now, that was that was that was like it it was a humorous trite observation yeah. that you tell people that and they're like <laughs> well wait a minute that mm, you know uh, when it comes to self-deception psychology and philosophy what's your take on all that well on the example that you gave i think you're pr- probably quite close to the mark i'll just add a little bit that i think when people pray for other people it's it, it involves hope Mm-hmm. Right, uh, you're you're when you're praying for them, you're kind of rooting for them. You're hoping that something that you know is possible will occur, and this is dressed up in religious. Yeah, I know, mean, cancer whatever. goes away. Yeah, sometimes. there is spontaneous remission. There isn't any spontaneous remission for a an amputated limb. Yeah, that's right? that has that has remissed and is not. You don't back. even <laughs> hope for that, yeah. right? It's. So the line that religious people would tend to take, in my experience, with that sort of thing, and you can correct me if you think I'm wrong, I'll pull from is that experience. this is part of God's plan that they lose their limb. Right. Yeah, that's a that's another weird thing because in the I don't know how familiar you are with the Bible, but there's parts of it Fairly, where I used to teach it actually. Okay. So there's parts that say a, a prayer in faith will heal this person, and it's, it's yeah. straightforward. Yeah. Yeah. And and it's like, okay, well, then if I have enough faith, they'll be healed, you know? Yeah. And, I mean, with all my questioning and everything else, if one of my kids is in trouble in any way, shape, or form, I'll hit my knees still. Yeah. I, I don't care. Yeah. It doesn't matter at that point. Yeah. If there's a chance, I'm taking it. Um, but what a Machiavellian thing to put in a book to tell people that, well, God can do anything. Mm-hmm. 
and if you have enough faith, I think you'll heal him. I think it's evil. That I, I don't know what terrible. to do with that. Yeah, because that pray that God's will be done. I, I can I can maybe get behind an idea of there's something above us. You know, maybe we're not the most intelligent consciousness that yeah. there is in everything. Mm-hmm. I can get behind that idea of you know putting God in that place. Maybe I don't personally see any evidence of that consciousness moving things around in our lives as much as other people say they do. Mm-hmm. Um, but to put in, in a book that professes to have all this certainty and, and you know, lockdown on this, at mm-hmm. least the way evangelicals will typically uh, interpret it, is just so Machiavellian to, mm. to like, well, that's on you. You didn't have enough faith. Yeah. You know, that's just so confusing. Yeah. And, and I just don't know what to do with that. But there's so, to me, it seems like there's a lot of self-deception going on. And, and, and that'll offend a lot of people that might listen to this. And, mm. But I mean, it for me, well, I feel like that's what I was doing a lot. Yeah. I mean, if, if, if you want something to be true, if you really, really badly want something to be true, then it's easy to... Um, ignore considerations that count against it. Mm. That's just Those are human psychology, right? So we're all subject to self-deception. In a religious community, though, there's something that's often really, really significant in this context, which is the patterns of thought that might disable certain forms of self-deception mm. are not encouraged. Right, right. So doubt is so valuable to us as humans. Yeah. When you get the email from the Nigerian prince that's yeah. trying to transfer his inheritance and just needs your help, what yeah. do you do? You doubt. Yeah. Sure. And that saves you mm-hmm. from opening your bank account to yeah. some guy who's just trying to take your money or girl. That's right. But that same critical thinking yeah. is asked to not be applied too heavily when in a religious Thing. Unless you're from another religion, coming to another religion, yeah, to sure. say, oh, guys, you know, um, I'm Baptist, you're Mormon, yeah. you should be a little doubtful of this, that, and the other. Yeah. I just, the, the honest self-critical... Well, and, and if you think about it, it's way worse than the Nigerian scammer emptying your bank account. Here, they're, your, your mind and your soul are getting emptied. Yeah, it, it, it brings a host of... I know it brings a host of good things with it. Like it's it's not a um, everything about this is horrible, wrong, and evil. Of course evil, not. But there are there's not a level of openness and honesty to actually holding it as belief. Yeah, it's not held as belief if if there's a certainty and a, you know God said it that settles yeah. it. This is not an open discussion. You yeah. know. That's where I have such an incredibly hard time mm-hmm. with most all of American uh, Christianity. Generally, will the mass part of it will come across that way. I've found, um, and that's yeah. That, and now I'm at this point, like I said earlier, that there's definitely a um, my emotions have caught up to my knowledge, <laughs> and now mm-hmm. I'm like, oh, how do I emotionally adjust now? 
So that's, mm. that's a really hard, mm. hard part. I don't know the psychology of dealing with that. I'm, I am definitely, uh, less patient right now. Mm. Uh, I will argue more with my wife. I'm shorter with my kids. Mm. And I think a lot of it is because of, you know, what I used to have as a solid foundation has just been pulled out. Mm. And, you know, and there's another thing I've been thinking is that anytime I have a moment to rest my mind, Mm -hmm. there's, there's no place for it to land. It's constantly, Mm. constantly going and emotionally going because I've lost what I previously had where it could lie. Yeah. Yeah. And I wonder about the danger of, um, bringing, uh, children or humans up within such a certainty based thing that when you do step back from that, it's, it's an emotional. Well, that's the problem. I think Freud makes a remark on that somewhere in his book, the future of an illusion. Um, you know, if, 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 if you've, if you've been on crutches a long time, it's it's hard to walk, hmm. and there's a kind of intellectual handicap that you have to recover from. I mean, if in your early years your life hmm. has been structured in this sort of way, and it's not merely a matter of belief; it's a matter of community, social practice. But herein's so. the hard thing for me in that. I never allowed myself to absorb into any community. I I was influenced by it. Yeah. But, um, but you were embedded in it. I was surely. embedded in it and I I absorbed the their ideas of it and yeah. what I should be, but I never I was still always a fence rider within it. Yeah, okay. By the so, way, I I'm I'm like that too. So. Okay. <laughs> so we'll we'll unite together separately in our own homes yes. kind of deal. Yes. Um, so for you personally, yeah, where, where do you find meaning? And this is coming from a genuine, like, all right, crap, where do I find meaning now? Um, as, as an atheist, I'm assuming yep. from our conversation yep. as an atheist, uh, how, yeah, even now I think about it and I'm like, you know, I love my kids just because I've evolved to do that and it's in the best interest of what i'm you know been determined to do but i'm just making you know i feel like humanity now i look at it and i look at an orange it's bacteria is growing on it Mm -hmm. and i now with this different worldview i'm like geez we're just bacteria on an orange you know like i feel like we're just growing and we're uh you know pushing everything to extinction we're overpopulating i have this very dark view now of humanity that I don't like, um, that, that is so different than where I was before. Like we had meaning and purpose and, and there was someone waiting for us, drawing us to that. Now we're just, so, but, and, and yeah. it's a hard thing to emotionally adjust and that's where I'm at. So what is it Give about? Give me some hope. What is it? <laughs> <laughs> uh, I'm not good at hope. <laughs> Generally speaking, <laughs> most psychologists aren't. I, I listened to your uh, debate on uh, Jordan Peterson yeah. with the other professor, and, yeah. and it was very interesting to me that you you said you listened to uh, you know charismatic preachers when you were driving. Oh around. yeah, it was interesting. yeah. I, I find it fascinating. I really yeah. do. And and actually, I think these are very very skillful um, performers. Very yeah. skillful. Yeah. If you read. Ravi Zacharias is a, is a big Christian apologetics guy who's, who's a, 
he's an intelligent and well, mm-hmm. you know, well received, well spoken. Uh, but I've heard criticisms uh, from his biography, I think, where he really he realized his uh, skills lied in uh, this charisma and yeah. this ability to talk up front. Yeah, and yeah, charisma is an an odd thing because it 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 undercuts a lot of like the doubt or everything else you might exercise. Sure. Sweeps like, you along like, well, with those man, beautiful just, words, those rhythms and those metaphors. And, but meaning, yeah. meaning, meaning, where do you Okay. Find so I, in the, I always get a little bit confused when people talk about meaning, because I'm not sure what they mean by it. <laughs> what do you mean? No, by this meaning? is true. Uh, so I, I think most people, I guess what you mean is like, what's the point of, of yeah. anything? Well, let me ask you a question. Your previous view, mm-hmm. the view that you're struggling with, leaving behind. How does that give anything any point? It, it was the truth, right? Mm-hmm. And, and I don't mean that literally now, but yeah. it is like... And, and this is what I am still thankful that I've pulled from that, yeah. is that truth was the most important thing. Okay. And that they felt they had the version of truth that, you know, uh, and, and I've kept that, that, okay. um, you know, love, uh, truth yeah. are, are supremely right. top of the pile important. And yeah. these are great things. Yeah. Um, but now meaning, you know, like that, I don't know. It's such a hard so, thing for but me to, why, why isn't, so you've taken two values there are two values that are common to your position now and your position back then. Mm-hmm. Love of truth and love of love, right? But for some reason, that, that isn't enough. Uh, where before I had this, this special idea in the back of my head that, you know, we were, there, were, there, was, a, there, was, a, there was a speciality uh, you know, beyond this existence. And I didn't have to worry about this incredible blissful thing of becoming conscious then ending forever, okay. you know? And, and there was that, the meaning is that we do our best here and we uh, help others come to uh, this idea of truth and yeah. then we can all live forever and discover more and more and more truth and explore the universe and you know so it sounds like you're saying if you don't live forever everything seems pointless it is a very selfish thing when i look at it now oddly yeah it, it yeah i don't i i I'm ashamed that I can't refute that right now. <laughs> <laughs> well, I mean, there's no need. Yeah, like, Maybe if I'm just... not going to be around, what's it all matter? You yeah. Know, that, I that's mean, hard. That, that's us, us human <laughs> beings, right? Right. I have so much to be ashamed of, so I'm just going to put that in line. Look, I don't want to die either. The older I get, believe me, uh, the more attractive it would be to, you know, believe in an afterlife. And, yeah. And so I, was like, I don't want I love life too much. And I've got too much to do still. <laughs> right? So much to do, so long um, time. Yeah, and I'd, I'd like to see how things go. And I'd, I'd like not to leave the party until it's over. But I can't have everything I want. Right. So I make the best of what I 
what I have and when I'm gone I won't be there to regret it. David Hume, the philosopher David Hume, when he was dying of cancer in the year 1776, his friends came to see him and one of them asked, are you not afraid of what happens after you die? Hume was described as a, uh, an atheist and he said, I won't be there. <laughs> I won't be there. Right? right. So the only, we, we, in a way, we kind of, it's very hard to picture our own non-existence. Yeah. What we tend to see... By the way, that's one of the other ones that Oxford came up with, this uh, bringing huh. in the next higher power and the inability to comprehend c c cessation of yeah, consciousness. Yeah. When we imagine it, we're always there. We're always yep. an observer to our non-existence. Yeah. So we're yeah. still there. And then when we look at it in that way, it's like, oh, crap. You know, it's like being locked in solitary confinement while yeah. all, all these other things are going on. Yeah, you're just not there. So you, you can, all those values that, that were important and informed your, your life during your religious phase... Those values can remain, but simply right. we have to let go of the kind of narcissism that nothing matters if that is, we're going to die. That is a realization that I am having right now that kind of plays into this narcissistic thing of personally, for me, you know, I can speak for mm -hmm. me, realizing that I was probably pulling a lot of meaning from uh, after this life. Yeah. And, and not not all of it, I don't think, but definitely, yeah, that that's a hard thing to to admit. <laughs> I'm sure you think it's meaningful to go home and give your kids a hug. That has nothing to do with how long yeah. you exist, or yeah. how long they exist, for that matter. Right, right. Um, <clears throat> so my last question, basis for morals. Uh, both myself and another friend have, have gone through this experience. Both of us, the same very, I call fundamental-ish religion. Um, and for him, it was very much a... Um, so Seventh-day Adventism has these really strict health codes, kind of like Mormonism, where, you know, you, you don't drink... A lot of them drink coffee now, but typically it was like, don't drink stimulants, mm -hmm. you know, yeah. don't drink alcohol, you don't smoke, you know. Yeah. Um, and for for him, it was like just a few of these things. He he was having a lot of questions and everything else, and he crossed the line on just very minor things. Mm -hmm. It was like, you know what? Everything's out the window. <laughs> and I mean, it was, you know, it was party is on. And for me, though, it nothing about my life morally did I want to change and still haven't. I mean, yeah. I, I still don't drink or smoke and I still eat healthy just because I want to. And, and I see the logic behind it and yeah. I'm, I'm kind of cheap and alcohol is expensive. And my wife still is mm -hmm. previously what we believe very strongly. It would make her very uncomfortable. So I'm just kind of, yeah, I'll respect that. Mm -hmm. No big deal. Um, but for him, it was definitely a hard thing of like, well, where do I get my morals from now? And um, for you personally, how do you assemble your moral compasses? Do you take a lot from humanism or? I don't assemble it. I mean, it just seems doing the right thing just seems self-evident. 
Um, I don't think any of the philosophical moral theories really work. You know, philosophers have been trying to figure this out for a long time. Mm-hmm. Um, I, I, I guess if I were to stand back, this isn't the sort of deliberation I go through when I'm trying to decide what to do and what not to do. But if I stand back and say, well, what's the basis of morality? I guess it's one's answer to the question, what kind of a world do I want to live in? Given that morality is about everyone, right? It's not like there, there can't be one morality for me and a different one for you. If I hold a moral position, I must think that the elements of that moral position are applicable to everyone. So what kind of a world do I want to live in? And that implies what kind of a world do I want others to want to live in? Um, Thinking more, yeah, that's interesting. That's interesting. So, you know, I want to live in a world where people are kind to one another, and I want everyone else to want to live in that sort of world. Mm -hmm. To me, that's all there is to it. Simplicity is nice. (laughs) (laughs) I like that. I really appreciate, again, you coming in. I'll let you get back to, uh, you're, you're finally on, on summer, summer break, and, and I really yeah, appreciate yeah. you taking some time well, away from Well, I'm on summer. In. Academics often work harder in summer than during the semester. But. Well, thank oh. you for the wonderful conversation. I enjoyed I it very, really very much. I really appreciate it. Thank you so much for coming in. Yeah, and, uh, all the we'll best. And be in touch. Thanks again for tuning in on the YouTube channel or listening through the podcast. Uh, If you would like to support us, you can go to the Patreon page, follow us on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and please do subscribe to the YouTube channel and let us know your feedback. Let us know what you think. Let us know what you'd like us to do different or to include in the future or questions you'd like us to ask future guests or the type of guests you'd like us to have in the future. Anything. Let us know. Tell us if you'd like us to stop all together and just completely go away. That could be an interesting conversation. But uh, anyways, thanks for watching or listening to this podcast or YouTube episode. And tune in for the next one. Thanks a lot. Bye-bye.